Welcome. This is a human interest podcast made up of stories about people who are traveling about by train or bus. The stories, 15 or 20 minutes long, are based on actual experiences that have occurred across the United States. Welcome to Rails and Trails. The morning was perfect. It was 4.20 of 23. I was back in Philadelphia, having wrapped up my business in the area the previous afternoon. I got an Uber ride to the train station from a driver named Daniel, a conversational guy who worked for 20 years as a heavy equipment operator for a construction company. Looking for flexibility in his schedule, behind which was a desire to spend more time with his family, he decided to leave his career in construction and become a rideshare driver. Now, I'm anything but risk-averse, but this seemed to be a dicey course. That was merely my reaction to something that's not my affair. On another level, I admired Daniel for ordering his priorities around his values. We arrived at William H. Gray III, 30th Street Station, at 8.30 a.m., I had four hours to kill before my departure for Pittsburgh at 12.40 p.m. I had my backpack and roller bag, but I was also carrying an awkward-sized parcel containing a framed lithograph for a future client. My plan was to spend a few hours at the Reading Terminal Market, but I didn't want to lug all of my gear over there, so I figured on checking them at the luggage desk for a while. The morning commute was underway, There was a lot of activity in the station. I decided to get some coffee and soak up the vibe while sitting in the food court. From my table, I could see around 25 or 30 people with bags, briefcases, and backpacks. About 10 persons were immersed in their MacBooks or tablets, and there were a number of people in active phone conversations, and nearly everyone else was existing in a world inside the screens of their phones. And as common as it is today, I still find it awkwardly odd when a person standing alone is talking up a storm. A homeless guy wandered into the immediate area, head darting from left to right as he scanned the nearby trash cans. He took inventory of the people seated at tables, gauging who might not finish all of a bagel or a pastry. He followed them to the trash cans, retrieving the remnants. Moments later, he passed the napkin dispenser at Dunkin' Donuts, and certain the associate wasn't watching, he laid hold of a bundle of napkins. He was confident that she didn't see him. What I saw was her graciousness as she looked away, allowing him the opportunity. She was quite aware, but she seemed to be kind. She noticed me watching, and when I smiled, she returned a somewhat embarrassed smile. A sudden ruckus occurred down an adjacent corridor, and I looked over to see a station police officer on a black-and-white Segway. He was attempting to calm a distraught individual in the midst of a psychotic episode. He had gone off about something, and the officer operated the machine much like a horseman on a cutting horse. He kept the gentleman at a distance and away from other passengers long enough for him to back out of the station. My response to this dehumanizing action was deeply conflicted. The 30th Street Station was renamed after William H. Gray III in 2020, 
after the long-serving congressman from Pennsylvania's 2nd District. Congressman Gray served in the House from 1979 to 1991, rising to majority whip during his final two years. He went on to become president of the United Negro College Fund for nearly 12 years. The station itself, it's the third busiest train station in the U.S., after Penn Station in New York City and Union Station in Washington. Its impressive architecture showcases stately Corinthian columns in the portico at the west and east entrances. The interior walls are crafted with travertine casing, and the main concourse, coffered ceiling, is nearly 100 feet tall. A unique blend of lighting is achieved by the stunning Art Deco chandeliers working in tandem with five-story windows that line the side of the concourse. My attention was suddenly caught by the sound of a whistle. Not a train whistle, but a whistle that was a deep and beautiful tone. It became louder as it drew closer to where I was seated. It was coming forth from a worker in a fluorescent t-shirt and a hard hat. I sat quietly as he sauntered through the food court, confidently sending up this glorious song. He had impeccable pitch, which he textured with extraordinary vibrato. The song he was performing was Moon River, and it rolled elegantly throughout the vast marble chamber. I'd say he was about 30, and I considered what might account for a Henry Mancini movie theme from 1961 finding its way into the young man's repertoire. But I released that curiosity, content with my good fortune in the moment. With my coffee finished, I decided to go back into the main concourse. Long, heavy wooden benches face each other in rows on both sides of the hall. I took a seat on a bench that was fairly open and took out a book to start reading. After a few chapters, I looked up to discover a woman sitting directly across from me. Her hair was raven black, and her eyes were equally sable. She held them directly on me. I smiled at her, drawing no response. Perhaps six or seven feet separated us. She fixed her focus on me without yielding. I looked across the concourse, at nothing in particular, feeling her continuing gaze. People were moving about as a steady flow of announcements filled the hall. I returned my attention to where I was seated. Our eyes met again, and I held my gaze, saying nothing. We sat in silence for a number of minutes just looking at each other. Eventually, she spoke. You are calm. You're very calm. But you should do something about your eyebrows. I nodded but offered no reply. You have a boyish face, no serious facial lines, and a full head of hair, not gray. Your eyebrows tell a story that doesn't fit the rest. Why do your hands shake? I know that you're not afraid. I revealed a sense of amusement. Maybe it's because I'm on drugs. She looked at me in silence. It's not drugs. Your eyes are steady. You're interested in other people. The ones on drugs are not. I think that it's nerves, but not nervous. Yes, I responded. It has something to do with nerves. You seem to be particularly insightful. Tell me about that. I have practice, she replied. Experience. You're a psychologist, I inquired. No, I am proficient with palmistry. 
and some other practices. I waited for the offer of a reading, but it didn't come. Where are you traveling today, I asked, attempting to redirect us towards small talk. She showed a slight annoyance as she told me she was going to Boston. I extended my hand toward her and said, It's good to talk with you. My name is Daniel. She hesitated for a moment before accepting my hand. I am Amunet. We remained there for about 20 or 30 minutes in relative silence. When they announced her departure, she took her single shoulder bag and walked toward the stairwell leading to her gate. She was still watching me as she turned to go down the stairs. There was no longer enough time to leave the station, so I settled in with my book, waiting for my own departure. People were coming and going throughout the late morning, and I had brief conversations with a number of other travelers. About 12.15, I went to the stairwell for my gate. After a few minutes, another gentleman walked over to the area. We exchanged small talk, and I learned that he was on a somewhat extended Amtrak trip, one that took him from PA to Chicago before getting the train to New Orleans. He traveled back to Philly and was now on his final leg back to the Altoona area. Mike was a great guy with a passion for train travel. He was even wearing an Amtrak t-shirt. We spoke for a little while prior to boarding, but would catch up more once we were on the train. Train 43, the Pennsylvanian, travels a historic and bucolic route across the Keystone State. Once clear of Philadelphia, the beautiful elements of spring were on full display. First stop on the route is Paoli, followed by a stretch of land through Amish country. I observe farmers raking alfalfa with horse-drawn implements. Stone buildings are interspersed among the lush agricultural landscape. The flowering dogwoods bore their beautiful blossoms, at times in large clusters and occasionally as a simple, singular specimen. It was the, the peak of springtime. My favorite stop in eastern Pennsylvania is Elizabethtown, home of Dove Chocolates. And as we approached the station, I recalled an earlier trip when I departed from that station. That was a Sunday afternoon departure, and I waited in the quaint terminal which was built in 1915. The building was in poor repair and closed in 1977. It underwent major renovation between 2009 and 2011 before reopening on May 4th of 2011. Today it is a pleasure to visit, sharing the neighborhood character of the Masonic Village. I recalled on my previous visit that I walked across the street to the Mooduck Brewery. It's a fun little craft brewery with an excellent selection of seven or eight brews and ales. They also serve delicious food options, including a flatbread special on Sundays. The bartender, a skilled musicologist, was playing Sunday quality tunes. There were no televisions, and the patrons present exchanged enjoyable conversation. I was chatting with a great guy who had played college baseball in California. He didn't play at the D1 level, but he did have an amusing experience to share. It had to do with facing a former Southern Cal pitcher who went on to have a highly successful and imposing career with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He didn't reach base that day, but he was pleased to have gotten out on a fly ball.
We traveled on through Lancaster County, and after a brief stop in Harrisburg, conductor made a stern announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, walking through the train just now, I was able to smell some kind of weed or vaporizer. I want to be perfectly clear with you. It is against the law to use any kind of smoking device on the train, per federal regulations. Do not risk it. There are two police officers on this train all the way to Pittsburgh. If you do it and you are discovered, they will come, arrest you, and you will be put off the train somewhere out in the middle of Pennsylvania. FYI, Amtrak conductors are serious about compliance with laws and regulations. I've been on routes a number of times when someone has been removed from the train for unlawful or unruly conduct. Before long, we crossed the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad Bridge above the Susquehanna River. It's an impressive bridge at 99 years old, and its span is over 3,500 feet. It was 3,507 feet long upon completion in 1924. But additional concrete arch spans have been added in the ensuing years. Three-quarters of a mile seems a reasonable approximation of its total length. The Susquehanna is an intriguing waterway. It's a big watershed that begins in New York, crosses Pennsylvania, and flows on through Maryland before reaching Haver de Grace. Most of its waterways are unnavigable, and therefore it does not serve commercial river traffic. Just past the town of Duncannon, the railroad line veers westward, running parallel to the Juniata River, primary tributary of the Susquehanna. The Juniata is a scenic route that flows through several mountain ridges in some of the most remote areas of the Appalachian Range, consisting of the Allegheny and Poconos. Much of the route skirts through areas with sheer walls only a few feet from the rail car. It was a perfect day, and locals waved from their backyards as we whizzed by. We traveled through a section where the tracks run parallel to the river for several miles. There were some guys fishing in kayaks, and we passed some RV areas where people go for rest and relaxation. Maybe it's because it was 420, and it was sunny and warm, but I was suddenly caught by surprise. I observed three young women, I'll say 20-somethings, they were standing no more than 20 feet from the train. They waved enthusiastically, and then in an instant, they dropped their tops, dancing and jiggling and waving as we went zooming past. I heard a range of comments come forth from the passengers in nearby seats. It all occurred in a matter of moments, and on we rolled. Before long, I was joined by Mike, the man I spoke with earlier at the station. One of the true benefits of traveling by train is meeting interesting people, and Mike is no exception. We spent between two and three hours getting acquainted. Mike is a retired educator in chemistry, a published author, a great family man, and twice ran for Congress. As I mentioned earlier, he is also a passenger train enthusiast. I was grateful to meet him and for the time he allowed for our conversation. Naturally, we talked about train travel. We also spoke of family, including dogs, community, education, civics, government service, and more. Among the great pleasures in life is this kind of meaningful dialogue. That's what I experienced, and I've since ordered two of his books, which are an extension of the whole experience. 
We were drawing close to the legendary horseshoe curve while we were seated together, and it was a treat that he was there, given his knowledge of its history. Curve is around 2,400 feet long and makes a remarkable horseshoe shape as it reduces the grade toward the summit of the Alleghenies. It has been in use for over 160 years, having been finished in 1854. It's currently owned by the Norfolk Southern. We continued talking for some time, and as we were getting close to Mike's stop, we wrapped up our rap session. I took the information necessary to order his books, and we bid farewell to one another as he returned to his seat to gather his things for disembarking. Train 43 was taking me all the way to Pittsburgh, not arriving until about 8.30 p.m. If you're also a fan of bridges, Pittsburgh is an ideal place to spot them known as it is as the City of Bridges. I'll not wade into that debate, but I will state that the age, the type, the aesthetics, and the geography they cross over distinguish Pittsburgh in a compelling way, and several are visible from the train. I arrived at Union Station in Pittsburgh, expecting a three-hour layover. The connection to Chicago on the Capitol Limited was scheduled to depart around midnight. That train was delayed, though there was no revised arrival time posted, so I settled in for an uncertain wait. I found a seat near an electrical outlet so that I could charge my phone. I took out some pistachios and was watching as people filled the waiting area. Two Amish couples motioned to some seats alongside my own. I encouraged them to sit, and the two men took the seats nearest me while their wives sat together farthest away. These folks were not traveling together. They had met on the incoming train. One couple was from central Pennsylvania and the other from south central Colorado. The men's names were Tim and Harvey. Tim and his wife from Colorado had attended a church meeting or conference here in Pennsylvania. Harvey and his wife were traveling to visit family in Minnesota. I offered them some pistachios. They declined, but it broke the ice. We exchanged superficial information about where we were going and where we lived. I was wearing a red bandana headband, which I could see them glancing up to as we visited. I inquired about the church conference. Are your denominations roots Calvinist? I asked, in the Reformed Church traditions. Yes, Tim replied. Old order. Strictly old order. Oh, that's great. I'm sure it was a good meeting and a blessing for everyone attending. Heavy rainfall had occurred throughout the Great Lakes region. For a while, there was a chance that we might be further delayed due to flooding. We spoke about this, and Tim questioned whether we might have to walk on water sometime during the night. I commented that I was only aware of one person who had done that before correcting myself. Well, actually two people, but only one of them did it successfully. This drew an amused reaction and added to our conversation. Tim described a particular form of work that he does through an agreement with the U.S. Forest Service in Colorado. The scope of this work is clearing trails of deadfalls created by jack pine beetle damage. His crews complete the job using only cross-cut saws. He sets out with eight or nine young men hiking into the backcountry for seven to ten days at a time. They work long days completing this grueling task. They pack in all of the tools, gear, 
food and supplies by hand, the only help coming from his prized Mercedes. I sat with this for a minute, watching his amiable grin. So he has a Mercedes. He let me off the hook after a couple moments, explaining that Mercedes is the name given to his Molly Mule. He had another humorous story from the high country. He started telling it by explaining that he never puts a saddle on a black horse. He just doesn't. For one reason or another, this particular day he had done so. He left early in the day and was scouting at up around 7,500 feet when the mare started acting spooked. He tried to settle her down, but she was still a little edgy. came into a clearing and saw across the way a good-sized bull moose staring purposefully in his direction. That moose had a one-track mind in the moment, as it was rutting season in Colorado. He surely got his wires crossed looking at Tim's mare. Tim wasn't sticking around to see how things would get straightened out. He took off with the moose in pursuit for between 10 to 15 minutes, just hoping she wouldn't get hurt. The mare was quick and eventually got enough space between them and the bull. About 1 a.m., the Capitol Limited pulled into the station and we boarded for Chicago. I had a sleeper, and once on board, I was out in no time at all. I vaguely recall passing through Cleveland and Toledo, and I woke up in South Bend and decided to go to the cafe car for some coffee. Sitting at a table in the cafe car, I noticed the gentleman opposite me with a copy of Black Elk Speaks, the exemplary account of transition and native spirituality written by John Nehart about Black Elk, their visionary leader and medicine man. He was engrossed in the book, which appeared to be a tenured edition. After a time, we spoke. He was also Tim, and this Tim was on his way home, not to his home, but to his father's home territory in North Dakota, a journey that would retrace his roots, but one that happened infrequently during his life. His mother's family hailed from parts of Minnesota, and after journeying that distance, they seldom went the considerable added stretch of miles that would get them to the Dakotas. We think nothing of distance or miles today. Four decades ago or so, going an extra three or four hundred miles might have been impractical. I immediately liked him. Our conversation flowed easily, speaking of history, train travel, spirituality, and podcasts. We spoke of Woody Guthrie and Studs Terkel, Vin Scully, and his son. And speaking of podcasting, Tim shared with me about a podcast that his son and a friend produced. He lit up telling me about it. I have since listened to several episodes, which I think are terrific. I will mention it in the podcast notes of this episode, in case you'd like to check it out. Tim shared that he was a combat chaplain in the Marine Corps. He served in Fallujah in 2007, following three of the fiercest campaigns of the war, by late summer of 2007, U.S. forces were transitioning out of the region. We were getting close to Chicago. I could have talked with Tim for another couple hours, but it was time for me to prepare for arrival. I returned to my sleeper, caught a quick shower ahead of disembarking. I reflected on the many persons whom I had met on this trip, people I conversed with, shared a cup of coffee, and I was grateful for the opportunity. In our haste to get from point A to point B, we surely sacrifice a human richness that's not easy to recover.
Hey everybody, this is Daniel, and I want to thank you for spending some of today with Rails and Trails podcast. The work of Rails and Trails is to bring you stories based on actual human events that have happened while out across the country traveling on trains and buses. The mission of Rails and Trails is to look for the sacred in these human interactions. So far as possible, the stories are presented in an unvarnished manner. Only first names are used to preserve anonymity. I am guided by the idea that God comes to us in the grit and grain of our daily lives. And I have no doubt completely missed plenty of those visits. The illustrative account in Matthew 25 shows me what this looks like. And it's a text with the capacity to make me shudder. Each person introduced in this podcast is a human being and is due the same dignity as all of us. I am grateful for your interest in the podcast and humbly appreciate all supporters and subscribers. I love hearing from you. If you haven't yet subscribed, I hope you will do so today. Rails and Trails is my creation and is produced by Second Half LLC. Thanks again.